action. Welcome to Taunt Stubbs, the trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We continue our celebration of Sofia Coppola as we move on to her third feature film, Marie Antoinette, which came out in 2006. Joshua. It stars Kirsten Dunst as Marie Antoinette, who is an Austrian princess who at the age of 14 is sent to France to marry who will the man who will become Louis the Sixteenth, yes, King of France, a young Jason Schwartzman, yes, and obviously Marie Antoinette is famous for supposedly saying "Let them eat cake" to the rebels at the gates, yes, and this story is about the real woman behind the myth, basically. Is it though? Is it the real story, or is it still just as <laughs> as ambiguous and mythical as as her legend in history? This, I think that the guy who summed this film up best is a French historian called Jacques Dulard, who... Is that his full name? Yes. He called the film Versailles in Hollywood Source, which is... Versailles? Versailles in oh, Hollywood Source. right. So it's kind of like, <laughs> it, is, it is kind of historically accurate. A lot of this stuff did happen, but it's also kind of been glossed in Sofia Coppola's vision yes. of history. And she has talked about at the, at the time the film came out she talked about the fact that and i quote it is not a hist- it is not a lesson of history it is an interpretation documented but carried by my desire for covering the subject differently and she really did like she went completely to the opposite ends that you would expect a period drama to do i think that is so evident from the very first shot when we've got marie kirsten dance in this one shot, in this, this wide shot, she's sat across two chairs, her feet are up, and there's a maid doing her shoe, and she's surrounded by cake. And she sort of looks to the camera and gives a sort of knowing, cheeky, she's like, oh, little here. glance. Yeah. And then some rock music hits in and the credits come on. So already it's a case of this is not this is not ITV one on Sunday night. <laughs> this yeah. is gonna be like a I mean Everything in this film could be a, a a center spread in vogue. Yeah, visually, it a lot of it does look like kind of a a period drama on acid. Yes. So like even when Marie Antoinette is first arriving in Versailles and you get that gorgeous courtyard shot of all of the the kind of the courtier courtesans and everyone in their finery, it looks kind of like the the period dramas you've seen, but it's just got a kind of acid punk kind of wash over it which is just like genius like people is this the first time this that had actually happened because i think it upset a lot of people (laughs) well i remember this got booed at Cannes, didn't it i mean i think that i mean everything gets booed at Cannes, but i think it has been slightly exaggerated there were boos and cheers yes but i think the boos were exaggerated and yeah everything gets booed at Cannes because it's like the europeans (laughs) he says amid brexit i had never seen this until now i didn't see it well i it kind of passed me by yeah. in 2006. I remember it coming out and I just, I don't know why I didn't go see it because I loved Lost in Translation. Mm. And this does look, at first glance, like a really, really, really good film. Yeah. But I just don't know why I didn't go see it. Did you see it back in the day? I did. And I 
kind of loved it. I loved the really, really fun stuff. And then I kind of got a bit bored through some of the kind of quite methodical kind of depictions of the court and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And I think that around, it's, it's, a, it's Sophia's longest it's film two hours. so far. It's just over two hours. Yeah. yeah. And I, I kind of, at the time I was just a bit like, eh, I don't really, I can see what she's trying to achieve. I actually, I think I reviewed this when I was at university or just after I left university, I was trying to get jobs yeah. writing film reviews. And I think I actually reviewed this as kind of like a sample. I was going to dig it out, but I can't remember. I forgot. Um, but then watching it again this time. So it's the second time I've seen it. Okay. Oh, so you hadn't seen it for 13, long 12 time. years? Yeah, yeah. And I still have like a really funny relationship with it because it is fun and flirty and extreme in some ways and kind of audacious in, in a kind of a stylistic sense. And it's gorgeous to look at, which all of Sofia Coppola's films are. Yeah. But there's just something about it that slightly doesn't work for me. Her first two films are so ambiguous and dreamy and there's so much depth. There is, it works on, you know, The Virgin Suicide works on a lot of different layers. Like I said in that episode, it throws up a lot of questions and doesn't give you any answers. Lost in Translation is a, a, a genius gem. Again, lots of different layers, throws up a load of questions, doesn't give you a single answer. You've got to make these choices for yourself. This film is gorgeous to look at. It is shiny and it's got this gorgeous pinkness to it and all the wigs and all the shiny little objects and the shoes but there's no depth to this film it's it's, it's completely i wouldn't even say it's camp but it's, it's camp just compared to her other stuff comparatively yeah but it's just all on the surface what you yeah. see is what you get there's nothing that i'm questioning i know yeah. i know why things are happening but i just don't care mm. There's nothing to draw me in like, you know, like the Virgin Suicides did or Lost in Translation. There's nothing here. I think with Marie Antoinette, the moment that you become emotionally engaged comes way, way, way too late. With Lost in Translation, you're engaged immediately because you sense that kind of drifting malaise that these characters have that you've all, you, that everyone has experienced. Yeah. Um, but with Marie Antoinette, I didn't really care until things start to go wrong for her. I didn't of, even care then. Really, because I, I really did, actually. And this time, I really, the last half an hour, I was completely riveted and kind of was really upset, actually, because Kirsten Dunst is basically going off to the gallows. She's off to have her head chopped off. No, she's not. <laughs> she's not. And that's a big problem. So they, they show, you know, it, it, it purports to be, it's called Marie Antoinette. It's about... Yeah. Marie Antoinette. It purports to be her life story, but like a lot of biopics, it will just pick a, a sliver. You know, the 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 Muhammad Ali uh, film with Will Smith, it's just about 10 years of his life. Mm. It's not about the whole thing. Ray Charles is probably not about the whole thing. Here, we see she leaves her home, age 14, and goes to France and marries 
the future king. Jason Schwarzman. Jason Schwarzman. Who is Sophia Coppola's cousin? She is, he is indeed. He is the daughter of Rocky's wife. <laughs> of Rocky, uh, I can't remember her name. Oh, Adrienne, no. Yeah, Adrienne. Adrienne, yeah. Yeah, whatever her no name is. No one knows is. what the actress name I can't remember her name. <laughs> she was in The Godfather as well. She plays oh. uh, Michael Colleon's sister. Oh. She plays Connie. Um, but she goes off and she marries him to keep relations between Austria and France really strong. Then uh, the husband doesn't want to touch her. Then she becomes a mum and her mother dies. Then her baby dies. Then the people of France turn against her and she brought it all on herself. She was spending all their fucking money. Mm. But I also feel like she was kind of told to. She was like, you're in France now. We do this. We do everything in a particular way. And she kind of almost gets brainwashed, I think, from this film. She gets brainwashed into kind of just splurging on stuff because that is what you do. That's what she's shown to do. But I still, she, didn't, she have arrives, a, I still didn't have a single shred of sympathy for her. I she's did. not a likable character. She's just so childlike. She's very much yeah. like, almost like a coherent bubbles from Ab Fab. <laughs> <laughs> she's bouncing around and it's almost like the, the, the less intelligent version of Emma Stone's character from The Favourite. Oh, yeah, which I haven't seen yet. Okay. Yeah. She, f- watching this, watching Marie Antoinette, I was like, Kirsten Dunst is essentially playing Torrance from Bring It On. Like, it feels like, because... I haven't, I haven't seen Bring It On for years. Bring It On is mean. amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels, because obviously Sophia Coppola is trying to create a really relatable kind of hashtag modern yeah. period drama. And I feel like her note to Kirsten Dunst was play Torrance, but in a wig. And that's kind of what she does. And whereas in Bring It On, which is an extremely camp kind of exuberant comedy in a film like this, you do kind of want something a bit more grounded and you don't really see any cracks in her, in her kind of um, exterior until that moment when that woman hisses at her, give us an air in the corridor and she goes off and cries. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's a, she's a really difficult character to kind of really like. I felt for her, just as a human being who was in a ridiculous situation, did really ridiculous things, and then died. She was you know? she everything she wanted, she got, and I mm. don't ever find that appealing. But then she had it taken away as well. But she didn't deserve any of it. So why not? Why why does she deserve it? <laughs> Why, why doesn't she deserve it? Well, I'm asking you. <laughs> why do you think she deserves it? Just because she's queen. She had that, that, that royal status handed to her. Yeah. She didn't fight for it. It was, it was decreed from birth. Mm. You will go and marry this miserable little fucker who likes keys and locks and won't touch you for years. Yeah. And that's another subject. <laughs> what was that all about? Well, I don't know. Why, why, won't, why won't he touch her? There was that early moment where somebody said that he enjoyed going to play with the stable boys yeah. too much. And I, so I do you think he's gay? I don't know. Like, was there, is there a thing about Louis Sixteenth being gay? I don't know. I didn't do enough research on he, this film. He does say this line at one point saying, we're too young to reign. So if they're too young to reign, then they are definitely too young to marry. Mm. If they're too young to marry, they're definitely too young to have sex. If they're too young to have sex, they're definitely too young to have a baby. Mm. It's so weird that, you know, a a woman at 14 is told you will be queen. And then at 16 becomes queen. Yeah. Yeah. And at age 14 is expected to have a baby. It's so fucked Mm. up. I think 
the the thing that's interesting is that Sofia Coppola is is somebody who makes films about kind of like outsiders a little bit, kind of like unusual people who are completely who lost. Are lost. That's yeah. basically what she does. And it's interesting that she basically has tried to kind of like tracing paper. She's taken her, she's taken Marie Antoinette and she's taken her kind of tracing paper outline of an outsider and tried to lay it over Marie Antoinette. And it's kind of, it creates this really unusual um, kind of creation. It's like Frankenstein's monster. It's a really, yeah. it's kind of like, I wonder why she chose Marie Antoinette. Like she's, Sophia Coppola has said uh, of Marie Antoinette, she said she was just this kid that got sucked into a weird situation. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, I can see how, I can see what you mean, but she she's, feel- not, she's not like a, um, she's not like a, one of the girls from Michigan in Virgin Suicides. She's not Charlotte sitting in a hotel in No, Tokyo. but she could be a young actress who was whipped into a couple of films that her dad made and then had everyone... <laughs> be negative about it yeah yeah i mean there is that as well you could you could see that so maybe there's and she the does connection to... maybe she sees herself in in marie antoinette maybe yeah but i think you're right i think it is difficult to humanize somebody like marie antoinette where historically nobody was nice to her and perhaps for good reason i don't really know but i think for everything that it does wrong there are so many things it does right as well or what does at least, it do right or, or at least that is interesting like the fact that it's a hugely visual film, you know, the way that she has again created this world, this kind of fishbowl where you look into the fishbowl and you can see this crazy world. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like the, the gorgeous, the, the bed chamber with the gilded bed and the wallpaper and, you know, the, the ridiculousness of it all. Like there's some really great humor in it where she's fucking freezing cold, naked, standing next to bed, <laughs> trying to get dressed. And she can't because the pecking order of the society says that if you're the most important person in the then room, you, you have get to take to dress over. Her. Yeah. So she could just stand in there for like 10 minutes waiting to find the person who's going to put her top on. Well, that comes to Sophia Coppola's writing, which is very sketch based, I guess, mm. you know, like the, in lost in translation, the, the, the Satori, uh, whiskey scene mm. and the, Based yeah. on her dad's, her dad did a commercial for Satori. Oh, really? In the 1970s with Akira Kurosawa. But there's also the lip my tights scene. Yeah. So she's very good at writing those, those sketches and then just sort of inserting them into, into the film. Yeah. And I also felt like, this is a negative actually, but I felt that there are certain moments where you're not with Marie Antoinette. You're in a room full of men discussing political stuff, which is there to give context to the story but then it makes it less of her story. And I felt like we could have maybe spent more time with her. Well, I think that's an attempt by Sophia to have a, a stronger narrative thread throughout this film. Mm. And this is, from to my knowledge, the most narrative-led of her films. And there's still pretty much a lack of narrative. Yeah. Comparatively, there is a story here. You know, yeah, it's I following think I, historical events, but not necessarily yeah, but, telling a story. Yeah, exactly. You know, there are marks that she needs to hit or, 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 or temp poles. But I think those scenes where they're discussing the war in America, I think they're important because then it, it completely gives you context as to why later on people are pissed off that she has pissed all that money away. Yeah. The taxes have gone up to pay for the war, but yet she still gets all the lime trees and diamonds and shoes that she wants. Yeah. 
and basically they're paying all this money to help the American Revolution, meanwhile sowing the seeds for a French Revolution. Yes, which is quite an interesting idea that the, the film doesn't explore. But <laughs> no, and, the, and you know the film is very good at, at shooting in the the real locations. Yes, but then oh when my it God. but when it comes to actually show the revolution and show the people at the gates, it's you don't see them, do you? You just no, see pitchforks and flames. A couple of people in the crowd where the camera is. There's like eight people, <laughs> eight people in the revolution. That's not a revolution. No, I thought that worked really well, actually, because it's the atmosphere was so heavy. I thought it worked. How do you feel about the emotion throughout this film? Um, it was, I mean, until that moment when everything starts to fall apart, it's all quite one note. It's all kind of flirty, but a bit, a bit shallow, a bit empty, just kind of frivolous. Like you get seduced by the gorgeous visuals, but then after a while you realise that you're not engaged really on an emotional level. I just, I don't think any aspect of any kind of emotion in this film is allowed any kind of breathing space. It it just has no weight. And Mm. I wonder if she had watched Barry Lyndon and... Definitely. And looked at the slowness, looked at, you know, the really slow pace, looked at the, the framing... And the beauty, and just went ah, oh, there's there's my film, but in Barry Lyndon, there is a lot of time given to the fallout of the various events. No more so than when his son dies. Mm. He's given a, a moment, Barry, where he can actually cry and actually be sad. Mm. In this film, we have two guards bring in a painting where she's in the painting with her three children, one's in the crib. Then they immediately take it out. Then they bring it back in and the baby in the crib has been erased out. And then we cut to a baby coffin being brought down the stairs in the most beautiful fashion ever. Yeah. But she's not given the time to be sad. Mm. And we're not given the time to grieve either. It is almost as if she, Sophia's gone slightly too far into like, wanting to be stylistically different to all the other period yeah. dramas that she actually loses some of that engagement because i actually really loved the painting thing and i thought that the the portrait with the slash across the front saying beware of deficit and things like that that was yeah. really clever it's a really, really clever device that. but if you back it up with the emotion yeah then it then it works otherwise it's just two guys taking the painting in and out of the shot yeah i think it's difficult because a lot of the characters around Marie Antoinette are also kind of empty, non-emotional caricatures. So well, she doesn't really have anybody. They're social climbers, aren't they? Yeah. So she has nobody to talk to honestly. Yeah. In a way that helps the audience understand her. And that's a shame because yeah. it does the film a disservice. Yeah, it does actually. Because all her friends are just so kind of drunk and silly and partying all the time, and yeah, you know, they're just there to be seen with her. When do you think Jason Schwartzman, the the Louis character, when do you think he started to take notice of Marie? It's after he has that chat with the brother-in-law, isn't it? When Danny Houston swoops in and says, now what happens in the bedroom? <laughs> and then suddenly they're having sex and it's fine. I think it's earlier than that. Mm. When she goes to see the play and she applauds oh, and someone yeah. says it's not protocol to applaud, but she carries on and he sort of gives her a look as if to say, Oh, she's a bit of a rebel. Mm. It's almost like someone to look up to. That whole that whole setup is just bizarre. Like if the you, fact if that he won't be fucking her. If, if you're a fourteen year old boy, yeah, 
and you're in bed every night with Kirsten Dunst, I'm sorry, something's going to happen. <laughs> Even if you don't want it to. You know? <laughs> well, she could have made a move on him. But it's not done, she is seemed, it? She seemed all about the way more, again, like in Virgin Suicides, she seemed way more ahead of herself than he did. Mm. Well, I suppose it helps that she was like, 27 when she played the role yeah but he was like probably closer to 30 <laughs> yeah. he wasn't 14 at all yeah what do you think about the music in the film oh i, I i'm really hot on that kind of thing i yeah. like that um because it just says this is not a regular period drama they were using music from the period, but then they were using like the Strokes and other Weren't bands that I'd never heard. Yeah, Bow, Bow, Bows, I Want Candy. And um, Adam and the Ants. God Save the Queen, obviously, was yes. sung in oh, Lost yeah. in Translation. And that's the link between this film and that film. That's the link. Yeah, there you go. There were certain narrative threads that were started and then they just disappeared. The biggest one for me is The Affair. She mm. has The Affair with Jamie Dornan, or whatever his name is. What's his name? Jamie Dornan. Jamie Dornan. Yeah. Has, has the affair with him and then it just disappears and she suddenly starts becoming very respectful to her husband and France. Suddenly she's the most loyal woman in the world. But don't you think that she has Jamie Dornan's son and then that's why he disappears? Isn't that the implication? That's not what I picked up. Oh. I just thought it was very strange that she's one second she's shagging him and then the next second she's having a baby. That didn't even occur to me. Yeah, I was like, that is no way Jason Schwartzman's kid. He'd had kids with her before, right? Well, one. Yeah. He had the daughter. So what makes you think they couldn't have a second child? And then the third, which Because she never really seemed that interested in him, and they didn't seem to really have a sexual relationship, whereas she definitely had a sexual relationship with Jamie Dornan. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That shot of her on the bed with her garters on and the fan yeah oh my god that's like a piece of art it's so great i love it it's shot beautifully yeah again she knows how to um frame an image like a photograph and just have everything play out Mm. and i love the fact that um when she passes over from austria into france Mm -hmm. you know when she leaves austria she looks like a girl she's very plain yeah you know she's not got all this makeup on and then she gets kind of put through a, um, a mill grinder through into France and emerges covered in white powder, big wig, so- silk gown. And it's like they have created her. It's like it's not. That's why I feel like it's not necessarily her fault. She's been told you now wear fucking great big wigs and stupid dresses. And so she does. And she takes it to an extreme where she's got this wig that's is the size of her torso. Yeah, with a boat in it. So it's almost like, is she to blame? I don't know, because she literally is dressed up by the French. So is she is she responsible for everything she does? Not necessarily. I think she would have had a, a moral compass. She would. She was 14. She wasn't a, a baby. She wasn't born there. But that's so still she extremely would, young. She's still... Come on. You, you still have a, an understanding of the world. And it's very... But do you not think as a 14-year-old, if you were told the world is yours, you can have everything, you'd be like, fucking hell, all right then. I think at one point you just realise. But you don't see any of the poor. She didn't see anybody struggling. She was in this very high tower with a very specific set of members of society. She wouldn't have seen any of the poverty. She wouldn't have even heard about it. It wouldn't have entered into her conversation. She had no idea. It wasn't until they turned up on her doorstep that she was confronted with this poverty and she bowed to them. She showed them respect. She didn't then hand out gold or anything. Yeah. Okay. But she suddenly realized 
that this is the reality of life for other people. I think she, I think that this film does a really good job of showing a young woman who has been raised in an ivory tower and has no idea about real life. Hmm. I think, I think it's very good at showing a girl being raised in an ivory tower. I don't think it's very good at her putting across that she might realize that there's something else on the other side of the fence. No, it doesn't. It doesn't really show that. It doesn't show that at all. Cause I, I, that bow, I just took that to meaning that she wanted to show respect to them, Mm. whether she respected them or not. Yeah. Not that she suddenly had this realization. Yeah. I wish that it, I wish that that was what had happened because <laughs> I like Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> it's very much about possessions. All these yeah. shiny shoes and dogs and wigs and diamonds and I want my lemon trees or lime trees or whatever it is. Um, and like I said, we're shown that big family portrait, which only the rich had that. Mm. And then later on, the way that we're shown that the kingdom is done is that the room is smashed up, the door's on the hinges, the chandelier's shattered on the floor, and the last thing she looks at is her fucking lime trees. Does she? Yeah, when they're, when they're going away in the carriage, mm. when they're being left, you know, led out, they're leaving, and he says something like, are you sad or something? She goes, I'm just taking one last look at my lime trees. She hasn't learned a damn thing. <laughs> She's still concerned about all the things that she wants. I thought she was saying, I'm just taking one last look. I thought that's what she said. At the lime trees. Because <laughs> earlier she wanted her big lime trees and she had said, okay, I'll concede. I'll have small ones that will grow. Yeah. She was so concerned. And when I say she, I mean both Marie Antoinette and Sophia Coppola. They're both concerned with all these good looking little fashionable items mm. that they don't consider the deeper implications Marie Antoinette. But that's interesting considering the next film she, she made, which we'll go into. Well, I haven't seen the next film. No, me either. Okay. So, but, but Sophia Coppola has said that every film she makes is a reaction to the last film. So it's interesting that The Bling Ring is her next film. No, it's not. It's somewhere. Oh, is it? Yeah, Bling Ring comes after. Oh, for fuck's sake. That, that theory's blown out of the water. <laughs> so that was Marie Antoinette, directed by Sophia Coppola. Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette. Marie. Did you know who the second unit director is on this film? Francis Ford Coppola, I don't know. Roman Coppola. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Give us a clue to the next film. The next film, Sophia Coppola uses a set of lenses, camera lenses, that her father used for his film Rumblefish. Think about that. Think about that one. Yeah. Or does IMDb it? (laughs) (laughs) Jump onto the Apple Podcast app, the Spotify app, Acast app and the TuneIn Radio app. Hit subscribe and follow so you don't miss an episode. And we're on Twitter at TornStubsPod. We're off to eat cake and buy shoes and dogs and have our head chopped off. <laughs> Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Au revoir. Au revoir. Tout de suite. <laughs>